going to get right into it this morning. We got a lot of ground to cover, and so uh, I want to encourage you uh, to take notes today. Uh, you're like, I normally don't take notes. Then that's why I'm saying that. Uh, I want you to take notes this morning. If you're watching us online and you don't have a pen or pencil, go to that junk drawer in your kitchen or wherever it is, pull out a pencil, pull out a pen, uh, because today you need to take notes. And, and I just want to I want to share with you some things um, that, frankly, are from a passage of Scripture that's going to be very countercultural to what we uh, normally ascribe to uh, how a marriage works between a husband and a wife. And and can I just be transparent right from the get-go? Lori and I, this week, it was like we couldn't agree that the sky was blue. (laughs) And I was just like, man, we were good on Monday, but then like Tuesdays, my, you know, I usually work in the mornings, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, all day Thursday on the message, and I try to have my meetings, and this was a super busy week. We had staff reviews and all of those different types of things, all that stuff that you really don't care about, but I don't know what it was. For a while, I was like, man, why are we just, like, just picking at each other? And then I was like, because we're dealing with 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7 this Sunday. Already talking to people in the lobby. They were like, man, I knew what was coming this week. I'm reading along in God's word in the reading plan. And my wife and I, man, same thing. Uh, so I just say that with you to be transparent. You know, we have a lot of people, by the way, getting married in our church, which is amazing. Um, and uh, normally I don't do uh, counseling uh, or premarital counseling. The reason why is because when I get up here being the primary communicator, I don't want you out there being like, uh-huh. You told me you weren't going to talk about what we said today, and, and so I just alleviate that barrier, and so normally I don't do that. We have, we have staff who are competent in, in doing the pastoral counseling, but we have so many people getting married, so uh, we had a couple coming over on Thursdays, and they were coming in on Thursday, and I told Laura, I was like, man, I got to feel like I got nothing, um, other than just saying, uh, we don't have all the answers either. We're still working on it, which, by the way, you will be. We've been married 21 years. But I just say all that to say I want your hearts to be ready to receive what God's Word has for you. Whether you're single, whether you're married, um, doesn't really matter. God has something for you today. So I just say that at the outset. So let's not automatically, when we read this passage of Scripture, be like, yeah, yeah, nope, sorry, not jiving with me. Uh, We say that Salem Chapel, when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. So let's be ready for what he has for us. And so I say that, let's jump into verse one. In this passage of scripture, it says, likewise. Now it says, likewise, because we've been on this whole journey of submission to authority that started in verse 13 of chapter two. So Peter's continuing this idea of submission, but now he's equating it to how that works in the marital relationship, it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own bodies, to your own husbands, sorry, not your bodies. Sorry, I got, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Likewise, can't cut that out, can we, Luke? (laughs) Likewise, be, likewise, wives, be subject to your, let's do that again, take two. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, So that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on on gold jewelry and or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, we're gonna walk through this verse by verse, but here's what I know. We we aren't gonna go over this. I'm gonna stop right here because some of you be like, that's all you'll be thinking about the entire message is, ain't no way I'm calling my husband Lord. That's not what it says. Okay, he's making reference to uh, the story in Genesis where Abraham and Sarah are visited by the angel of the Lord and they're told that they're gonna have a child in their 90s. That wasn't humanly possible back then and it's not now. Uh, It was a miracle of the Lord and so that's just a term showing, um, that's just a term of endearment. So 
Ladies, there's no responsibility. Husbands, you cannot, will not go home and say that your wife can call you that. If you do, and that's your response, then you heard nothing of what we have talked about today. So I'm going to say that right out of the get-go so we get that off of your mind. Let's continue. Uh, Verse 6, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, guys, we're not left out of this if you're a husband this morning. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We'll talk about what that doesn't mean and what it does mean. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So in a room this size, however many people are watching online right now, can we just stop and can we just pray, Lord, would my ears be open to what you want to say to me today in regards to my marriage, in regards to me being single, in regards to me being engaged, like wherever you are. As we say here at Salem Chapel, right, when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. So let's just, let me just pray, and you pray that simply in whatever words you want to use so that we can be ready to hear what God wants to say. God, I, I thank you that we are here today and we have your word open. God, I understand that this is a taboo way of looking at marriage today. Lord, as we're going to talk about here in a moment, it's been abused horribly, taken out of context, used as a weapon. So Lord, may our ears be open and our lives be open and our relationships be open if we are in one, whether that be marriage, dating, engaged, to apply what you have to say to that relationship specifically. Lord, I know that there's people in this room that are single. And maybe because of the church, maybe because of uh, an experience, they feel less than. God, that is not from you. And so, God, may you encourage them in that reality as well. So, God, we're ready to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to acknowledge some things about this passage of Scripture that I believe is very important. Um. And to not say them, I think, would be uh, missing an opportunity. So I want to acknowledge that there are Christian women that are living in the worst of marital situations right now. That could be you in this room. You've been hiding it, whatever it is, but, but your marriage is just not in a good place. You're online right now. You're listening to this on a run later on in the week. I don't know, but... I want to acknowledge that, that there are Christian women who love Jesus who are living in the worst of marital situations right now. And because of that, this text, this passage of Scripture can be painful, can bring up painful emotions that rise to the surface because honestly, the horrific circumstances that you have experienced in the past, are experiencing right now, that stem from a husband not loving you according to what we're gonna look at in verse seven. And I wanna acknowledge that, I wanna empathize with that, that that's a reality, and, we, and I say that because we all need to. Here's what compounds matters. That there's Christian women, regardless of their marital status, whether they're married, whether they're not married, whether they ever desire to be married, who have too often been subjected to degrading explanations and abusive applications from this very text. It's sad that I have to say that, but that's a reality. That this has been used as a weapon to dehumanize women. And sadly, it's been done in the church. So I think it's very important that I say that from the beginning. So because of those realities, as painful as they may be, uh, as traumatizing as they may be for some, 
I think it's important that I say a few things about what Peter's call to submission does not mean for Christian wives. So this is not on your screen, but I want to say this to be clear before we walk into what it does say. Because it's as important to say what it doesn't say as what it does say. So here's the first thing. It does not mean that if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, you should do so. Does not mean that. It does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin, that you should do so. God's word is very clear that our ultimate authority is God, not man. It does not mean that you must always agree with him and never offer an opposing view. We're going to talk about that this morning. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful to you, that you are left without biblical recourse. This is not a message on that, but I just want to say that. You're not his doormat. Guys, she's not your doormat. It does not mean, and this is important as the others, if not more important to say, it does not mean that if he abuses you physically or abandons you through incessant verbal humiliation that you must remain quietly in the home and accept the daily cruelty of that relationship at all costs. It does not mean that. In fact, that phrase, it does not mean that. Can we just say that together? One, two, three. It does not mean that. I might have you say that a few times throughout this message. Okay, so let me be clear on those things. Right from the beginning. So you're not wondering. And you're gonna see that it doesn't say that because we're gonna spend the rest of our time saying what it does say and you'll be able to draw those same conclusions. What I hope is the majority of women in this room, and like I said, we're going to talk about husbands as well, wives more specifically than women, that what it's getting at, what Peter is getting at, it's really the same thing that we looked at last week in regards to submission, that submission's not the main issue of this passage of Scripture. You're like, yeah, Johnny, it is, because it says that, be subject to your husbands. But it's not the main issue. What it is, is it's instructive for the woman not to put her hope in anyone other than Jesus Christ. It's instructive for the man to put his hope ultimately in Jesus Christ, not his spouse. If you're dating, not in the person that you're dating, not in the person that you're engaged to, but your hope is ultimately placed in Christ. That's why in verse five and six, he mentions uh, holy women who hoped in God. He's speaking of Old Testament women throughout scripture that many of them had husbands that weren't even doing what God wanted, but yet their hope was in Christ. You could look at that with Sarah with Abraham. Abraham was not batting a thousand in his marital relationship. If you look at the entire story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, but Sarah's hope was in Christ. Our hope has to be in Christ. What do I mean by that? Hope unto the Lord is how you are defined. You're not defined whether your uh, relationship status on whatever social media saying single does not define you. You being married does not define you. You being in a relationship right now that is on the rocks does not define you. What ought to define me? Where is my identity rooted? According to God's word and in this letter, we are different because our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. Also hope in the Lord as to where our strength comes from. Ladies, your strength does not come from a man. Guys, your strength does not come from a woman. My strength comes from my hope being in the Lord. My purpose comes from my hope being in the Lord. Not my relationship status. See, here's the title of the message this morning. A different home. I mean, that's what we've been looking at through this entire letter, right? That it's the title of this series, Different. How do we live faithfully in a world that's not our final home? that we ought to have marriages that communicate that there's something special and unique about our marriage that may not even make sense to, to, to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Why? Because each person in that marriage's hope is rooted in Christ, which allows them to endure, making reference again to Matthew 27, 24 through 27. When the wind and the rain and the floods come, that marriage is solid. Why? 
Because you've read five different books on communication? No, because your hope is in Christ. It's built on Jesus. So here's the overall idea that I want you to get today. If you get one thing, I want it to be this, and then we're just gonna unpack this sentence. That submission to authority is the result, sorry, submission to authority in my home is the result of my hope in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. You look at a marriage and you're like, maybe it's one even in this church, and you're like, man, you guys, I know you're not perfect, but you guys just, you seem to have it all together. I promise you that couple would say, number one, we don't. But number two, it's because we're each pursuing Jesus as our greatest treasure. Our hope is in Christ. And if that's a reality, and it is, and we will see it today, I want to give, first of all, a warning of misplaced hope, specifically to the ladies this morning, because that's what God's word does. Two areas where women's hope is often misplaced. I can already feel the eyes on me. Like, where's he going with this? I already already feel it. But let me allow God's word to give us the two areas where women's hope is often misplaced. This comes from verses three and four. First of all, external beauty. Can we look at verse three again where it says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Here's what Peter's not saying again. You're gonna hear me say that a lot today. He's not saying that you should have showed up in church today and you didn't take a shower, you didn't do your hair, you didn't put up on any makeup if that's what you do, like that gold necklace around your neck or that ring on your finger or bracelets or whatever or or the nice outfit that you got this week at the store that somehow you did something wrong. Not saying that. Peter is contrasting two different things. And in contrasting those two different things, he's saying one is more important than the other. Not that one is good and one is sinful. What he's driving home is, is don't allow your external beauty to be the thing that you are striving to achieve and your identity is rooted in. But understand that your worth is found in something so much more precious than whether you're wearing the trendiest clothes and whether, you know, you wear makeup, you don't wear makeup, how much makeup you wear, how much jewelry you have, whether you got a Louis Vuitton purse or one from Walmart, like, no, no. And in saying that, what I think is interesting is the Holy Spirit through Paul knows that this is an immense amount of pressure that's put on women. It was true some 2,000 years ago when when this was written in the first century. It's just as true today that everywhere you turn, ladies, you're you're told how much you should weigh, what you should wear, what brands you should buy, what makeup you should wear, how you should wear it, all of those different types of things. And it's, it, it starts even when you're in elementary school and in junior high. Listen, I got two teenage kids. I am faced with it in a way and understand it in a way even different than obviously being married to Lori. Like it's, it starts and in junior high, none of us would want to go back to our junior high years, would we? Which is why I love our junior high ministry and our church because it's so needed to drive home to particularly young women that their identity is not found in what they wear, what they look like, how much they weigh, but their identity and self-worth that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God is rooted and that Jesus loves them. So important. And I think that's why Peter highlights, don't allow external beauty to be where you place your hope. (laughs) 
Ladies, you got some wrinkles this morning? Awesome. That just testifies that you know more. Don't allow what you see in the mirror and what you wished it looked like to cause you to be blinded to what the mirror of God's word says is your worth. External beauty. Proverbs 31 verses 25 through 30 is a great cross-reference to this. Some people call it the description of the virtuous woman. It says in verse 25, strength and dignity. That word dignity means honor, respect for herself and how others see her. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Like that's what she values most. That's what she wears. That's how she defines herself. No, no, I'm a strong, I respect myself. I have respect from others. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Like she's wise. She's wise because... She knows where wisdom comes from. It comes from the Lord. Wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. In other words, she doesn't tear down other people with her words. Why? Because she has confidence in who she is as a woman and how Christ sees her. Can I just say as a side note, ladies, you want to keep away the dudes that are losers? You just live like this. It's amazing. It's like loser repellent. Because those guys, and I don't mean to call them losers. I'm just a little more sensitive to this now that I have a teenage daughter. But it's amazing. Like those guys know if you're living this way, they don't stand a chance with you. Fathers, mothers, Teach your girls to live this way. Wives, live this way. Single women, live this way. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I love Proverbs 31 because it totally debunks the chauvinistic garbage that a woman just is supposed to stay home, be barefoot, pregnant, and serve her husband meals. Like this is a woman. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. This is someone writing to his wife who happens to be one of these women. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But look at this. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, this woman spends more time than looking at what society says, what clothes they should wear, what's the in styles, what what stuff they need to have done. No, she takes more time to cultivate her faith, her home, the way God has gifted her. She has immense depth, respect, and strength. External beauty isn't where her hope lies. Here's a second place that women's hope is often misplaced. Men. Men. So I'm going to mention a movie here. Actually, I was shocked. It's 25 years old. So I know that I've eliminated probably anyone that was born in 2000 or beyond, because it came out in 1996. But how many of you ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, Raise Your Hand? Okay, good. So now I can give it as an illustration. You don't judge me because I've seen the movie. So in this movie, Jerry Maguire, you know, he's a sports agent, and, and uh, he all of a sudden develops a conscience, and he writes this mission statement because he's seeing how much he, they, he's taken advantage of people. So he writes this mission statement, ends up getting him fired. He stands up in the place of business. He, he's hoping that a bunch of people are going to go with him, and everyone is just silent. Nobody's moving, and this one sweet young lady named Dorothy stands up who serves in accounting, and she's like, I'll go with you. So they walk out of that uh, office area and they get into an elevator and there happens in the elevator to be this other couple and they're, they're standing there and this other couple is kissing each other and, and all of a sudden uh, Jerry sees the, the man make this sign to the girl that he's kissing 
And Dorothy says, oh, I know someone who has sign language. And Jerry's like, well, what did, she, what did he say to her? And, and Dorothy tells Jerry, well, he said to her, you complete me. And so you go on the rest of the movie, and, and uh, they end up, Dorothy and Jerry end up getting married, and, and she sees that Jerry just married her, uh, not out of love, but more out of loyalty. And, and so they end up, you know, separating for a time. And so the end of the movie Dorothy, who is the woman, is in this living room with a bunch of women that just hate men. <laughs> like they're just commiserating about how bad men are. And so Jerry has just the impeccable timing that he walks in because he's realized that he loves Dorothy. And so he walks into the, walks into the house and there in the living room is all these women, Dorothy being the one. And he just simply looks at her and if you know the line, say it with me. He says, you what? Complete me. And all the ladies are all quiet and they're watching. He's just debunked everything that they've said. And what does Dorothy say? You had me at hello. (laughs) Now, let's get back to where we're at. (laughs) You just say this. I'm going to read it. I'm going to make sure I get it right. This idea that a man or a woman completes you is a big, steaming pile of a lie. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? (laughs) Why do I say that? Because I am just a man, and Lori is just a woman, and Lori cannot complete me or fulfill me or to expect her puts an immense pressure that she cannot carry. And it's an unattainable reality that she will fail to fulfill. She can't complete me. It makes an amazing line in a movie. It's a great date movie. Like, like all of that, it gives us like little, little uh, you know, flutters in our stomach. But the reality is, is, is that's what you're thinking. You are completely off base and contrary to what God's word says. And if I think that way, what that will result in that marriage is anger will develop, resentment will develop towards her for something that she was never designed or created to do. So let's talk about, if a woman says that, like if a woman says to the man, oh, you complete me. You make sense of my life. You heal my wounds. You are putting pressure on a man he will not be able to sustain and will only result in anger and resentment towards him, which you know will then take you. It'll cause him to be spending less and less time with you, developing more and more habits and pursuing more and more fantasies. Why? Because he can't live under that weight and therefore he's going to look for ways to escape. It's not Bible. Why? Because we are all sinners. We're all going to fail. That doesn't give me an excuse to look to fail. That doesn't excuse me when I do fail. But I have failed. Trust me. I have failed Lori. And she has failed me. And I'm sure I've done it way more to her than she's done it to me. And I've done that on purpose sometimes and I've done that unintentionally. That's why I say what is at stake in this passage is not your begrudging submission like, oh, I'm going to do this, but I know I'm going to hate it. No, it's about your joy. And the submitting to the Lord, understanding that he's, he's your hope. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. And can we just admit, ladies, because God's word says it, it can be frightening to submit yourself to your husband, right? That word, I'm gonna say it again, means, it's not a term of weakness. It means to literally place yourself willingly under and to hold up something. And it can be scary to do that. It can be frightening. It says that in this passage of scripture at the end of verse six. So let me answer two questions in our time left. First of all, how does a wife submit to her husband when her hope is in Christ? I think there's three ways that this passage tells us. Here's the first one, with respect. Here's why I say that. Because it says there in verses one and two, 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of your wives when they see your respectful conduct. It needs to be done with respect, with honor, with dignity, with value. Listen to these two verses. These are not obviously verses that I wrote, so I can stand under the banner that this is what God is saying about a woman who does not live with her husband in a respectful way. Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. I'm very thankful this morning that Johnny is not at the end of that sentence. Can we just think about that for a second? It would be better for me to live in a desert with no shelter, with no water, with no food, and God says, then you living with a woman who is always looking to argue and always looking to tear you down. Proverbs 19, 13, not sure this is any better, could be worse. It says, a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Let's put it in our context. You having that type of wife is like you getting waterboarded every day. But what does God say? No, no, no. When a wife is submitting to her husband as her hope is in Christ, man, she does it with respect. What that means, ladies, if you're married, don't berate don't belittle, don't emasculate and attack your husband every chance that you get. Don't look to only harp on his weaknesses. I've said this in premarital counseling. I've said it for years and years and years. Ladies, first of all, we guys, your husband's not complicated. He's a very simple creature. Thank you for the one husband who has acknowledged that. But probably the worst thing that you can do to your husband is to emasculate him. To your girlfriends, let me tell you what my husband never does. Let me tell you what he did this last week. That is absolutely the worst thing that you can do to your husband. Which is why God's word says what it says in regard to a woman who does that to her husband. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You don't know my husband, Johnny. And you're right, I may not. And listen to me, even in saying that, I understand the lack of majority, the small minority of even men who are in the church that seek to love Jesus, obey his word, love their wives the way that they're told to, love their children, I get it. Unfortunately, in the church today, that is not a majority. And it's not true before the husbands say I do. I am shocked and burdened, even in our church, the amount of college students that come to our church that are ladies, and I'm like, where are the dudes? Where are they? I got a teenage son and a teenage daughter, and I pray for both of their spouses one day if that's what God so chooses for them. But if I'm gonna be completely transparent, I'm much more concerned about my daughter finding a guy who loves Jesus than I am for my son finding a girl who loves Jesus. And if you are a single guy here today, or you are a man who's married today, or you're in a relationship, guys, I cannot stress it enough. To pursue Jesus and to be obedient to his word, and we're not on the husbands yet, but I'm just gonna say that so your ears will be ready to listen when we do. I get it, I get it, ladies. I'm burdened about it too. But I don't see anywhere in this passage of scripture where it says the way that you get your husband to turn to Jesus is by you berating, belittling, emasculating, and attacking him and his weaknesses every chance you get. Listen to me, I don't know one story, and I've been in ministry for 21 years, one story where a man came to Jesus, a saving relationship, or turned back to Jesus because of his wife doing those things. But I can tell you many stories 
where the Lord does a work in that man's heart because his wife, under the power of the Holy Spirit alone, showed that husband honor, respected him when he didn't deserve it, and the Lord used that to get a hold of his heart, which is exactly what Verse one is saying, so that some who do not obey the word may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, which first of all is respectful. Now two things, we gotta move quick. And these are nuanced things, I could spend all the time in the world on them, but two things, and I primarily say this for ladies who are not married who are in a relationship or desire to be with a guy. Listen to me, if you're in one of those relationships, I say this out of love, I don't say this to be hurtful. I'm sorry, but he was that way when you married him. Akedian all of a sudden was this knight in shining armor and then a week after the marriage is like, ta-da, I'm a jerk. Can I just say this? If you're dating a guy right now and you're like, hey, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't like the way that he's treating me. He doesn't really seem. I got to drag his hiney to church every time. Like, I don't, I don't. Guess what? You are going to be pleasantly surprised what he's like after you say I do. Because you are seeing the absolute best behavior of that dude. So if you don't like him now, you really ain't going to like him after you wake up to his face after a week. I don't care if you've been dating for 10 years, you got a ring on your finger, as long as you haven't said I do and consummate the marriage, you can get out. It's the right way when you married him. You focus on what you can control. Ladies, you focus on what you can control. If you're in a relationship with someone and he's not treating you the way in this passage of scripture. And I say that in light of everything that I said it doesn't mean as well, which is why I said that at the beginning. You focus on your relationship with the Lord, your sin, your mouth, your heart, your wounds. And you grow in the Lord as you pray for that man. Respect. Here's the second thing that the wife does when her hope is in Christ. She submits to her husband with pure conduct. What do I mean by pure conduct? Well, look at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? So as much as I said that guys who love Jesus are in the far minority in this world today, it's not saying that these types of women grow on trees either. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. What he's saying here is, guess what? When, you know, like, I take my dog out for a walk, I've never yet had this happen to me, and I've taken him for plenty of walks, I've never had this happen to me. I'm walking down, walking my dog, and I'm like, ah, there's a ruby, there's a diamond. Lori, man, I batted a thousand, I picked up four precious stones today. That doesn't happen. It's, it's not, it's, it's rare if it even happens at all. That's the point of what he's saying here. Says the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. That's why I say, ladies, the worst thing that you can do is to emasculate him, belittle him in public or with your girlfriends. Because what it's saying here about this woman in Proverbs 31 that really complements and gives color to pure conduct in 1 Peter 3 is that this woman is aware of her husband's strengths and she seeks to affirm them. She prays and speaks encouragement to where he's weak. I said this already, guys are not complicated. The biggest need of a man is affirmation. Like, ladies, how often in this past month or even this week had you looked to affirm your husband's strengths? To go along alongside of him with an arm rather than a finger on where he's weak. 
See, ladies, you want transparency and you want intimacy with your husband. When I say intimacy, we always go to the sexual route. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about oneness emotionally. And you want him to open up to you. But if he thinks that you're going to belittle and use his weaknesses as weapons against him, he's never going to open up to you. Guys need to feel safe in order to open up. And when you actually, through your conduct, do what we see in this passage and in Proverbs 31 and be this type of woman in your relationship, what begins to happen is your your husband begins to open up. Instead of shutting down, he opens up. So some of you are like, man, my husband never talks to me, never really tells me how he feels. Like he just grunts and like asks me what's for dinner. And I would say, How are you looking for ways to hold them up? To hold them up. Third thing that it says here, and it's found earlier up in the passage, it's found in verse four, that when the wife's hope is in Christ, she submits to her husband with a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, can I say that this has been abused too often? It does not mean that women don't speak. That is not what it means. You're like, well, Johnny, why are you so adamant about that? Because gentle is the word meek. And meek means power under control. That's not a weak woman, that's a strong woman. Like if I wanted to, I could come at you and machine gun you with facts about how you ain't measuring up. I could do that, but I'm not. Because I understand how I'm to love you. Gentle, power under control. Quiet doesn't mean shutting up. Quiet means seeking peace. So, Lori's not in here in this service. She was in the last service. You know how Lori does this with me, and we've been married for 21 years? You know how, how she comes to me with this type of attitude, and I'm so thankful that she does? She usually uses this phrase, can I ask you something? <laughs> it's so funny. Like now when I do that, all of a sudden I'm like doing whatever, and you know, I may even, you know, my tone is a thing that I often get told of with a gentle and quiet spirit is, is, is this something I struggle with. That when I hear that, can I ask you something? I'm like, I know what's coming. But it's not in a begrudging way. And oftentimes, it'll be something that was done a while ago. And she knows that's not at the moment to bring that up because it's not going to seek peace. He's not in a place where he can receive that right now. But when you're married long enough, you're like, yep, absolutely. And it's not that she needs my permission to say it. Let me tell you, I'm so thankful for my wife correcting me so many times. But she's doing it in such a way that looks to bring peace, not to bring division. It's not saying, hey, This week, this week, it's not saying this, ladies. It's not saying, hey, did you hear what Johnny had to say? Did you hear what the the Bible had to say? Did you read that? Do you need to go back and read that again? No, 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 forget 1 Peter 4. I know that's where you're at. Go back to 1 Peter 3 and read that again. You need to be a better spiritual leader. Why are you so terrible? Like that other person that's in our life group, man, she's got a husband who's doing this. You are not. No, it's not that. Both have the same desire at a deep level One will get you there, one will not. Now let me say this before we get to the guys. What if you're single this morning? When I was first prepping this message, I was like, well, I'm not even gonna address this because it's not in the passage of scripture, but unfortunately, like I said at the beginning of this message, and it's also partly the church's fault, We've given this aura, whether we've said it or not, that if someone is single or someone believes that God has, God God wants that for them or they've never been married or they were married and they're no longer married and they don't desire to be married again, like, like they're less than. 
They're second class in the church. And you won't find that in the Bible anywhere. If so, then Paul was second class. So let me give you three things. What if you're single? First of all, find who are living this way and get around them. That can be true of ladies or guys. Find those that are living according to what's found in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, and get around them. Surround them around you. And give those women or those men authority to speak into your life and relationships. Give them that authority. Here's the second thing. Take your own discipleship with Jesus seriously. If marriage is something you desire, you know, you know what, what I've always said shows that you're ready for marriage? When you've come to the place that you don't need a man or a woman. That you're not in a place that says, oh, she will complete me. He will complete me. You're not ready. Take your own discipleship with Jesus seriously. Why? Because your identity is in Christ, not a relationship. I could teach a whole message on that. We have so screwed up where our identity is found. It's found in Jesus. Here's the third thing. Take some time to get alone and ask yourself, how do you really view men or women? And look for patterns of dysfunction where you've placed unrealistic expectation of them that only Christ can fulfill. You're not going to necessarily find that in this passage of Scripture, but you could find them in many other places. So let's deal with the guys, because guys, I'm not leaving you out. In fact, you're like, the guys only get one verse. We like get six. Right? But there's actually more action items in one verse than there are in all the other verses. So if that makes you feel better, ladies, how does a husband serve his wife when his hope is in Christ? Guys, listen up. First of all, he knows and provides what his wife needs. And I say that because of what it says in verse seven. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding. That word understanding means considerate way. It starts off by thinking that your wife has as many responsibilities as you do, if not more. Why do I say that? Because we put this false chauvinistic, misogynistic idea so often that, man, what I do as a man and, and what you do as a woman, man, it's different. It's not even close to equal. Man, that's from the devil. That's not from God. That I'm the man and Therefore, you as a woman, as my wife, need to drop everything when I need you at a moment's call. And what you do is much more insignificant than what I do. That is totally contrary to what the Holy Spirit says through Peter. No, no, no. Husbands, you live with your wife in an understanding way. You are called by God to know and provide what she needs. Listen, if it so happens... That, that your wife is choosing to stay home right now and watch the kids, and I'm not saying that because if a guy does that, there's something wrong with that, but let's just say if your wife stays home and watches the kids and somehow you're thinking that's less than you, try it for a day. See what it will do to you mentally. <laughs> I mean, I remember when we were in that stage and Lori wanted, not because I asked her to, she wanted to stay at home. And I had to watch Lily as a baby for like an hour. It was the longest 60 minutes of my entire life. That means, guys, when you get home, I don't care if you had a stressful day. You say, you know what, I'm gonna put the kids to bed. I'm gonna help with their food. I'm gonna give them a bath. And I want you to have some space for yourself. It means that if your wife is pulling up and she's got the groceries in her car, if, that's what, if, if she does the grocery shopping, some guys love to do that, 
That is definitely not me, but if your wife pulls up and, and has the groceries and you're watching something on the TV, ESPN or whatever it is, you know what, nowadays you can actually hit pause on that thing. You couldn't do that five years ago. So you've got every reason to get off your haunches and to help your wife. God, help us. Take time to know your wife, man. I'm still learning Lori. She learned me in about a month. You know what's awesome about that? Guys love a challenge. So guys, you've got every challenge in the world. God's called you to know your wife, and there are going to be a million layers to that woman that you can enjoy in getting to know. Know your wife. And the reason why I say just don't know your wife, because it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to provide for what she needs. Here's the second thing. You treat your wife with honor. Why do I say that? It says showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker vessel does not mean she's weaker mentally, because I don't know about you, but I met women that are way smarter than me. Does not mean mentally. Does not mean morally. Does not mean spiritually. Because unfortunately, there's women that are much stronger spiritually than men today. It's speaking of physically, and I say that in understanding. Listen, I know there's some ladies in here that probably do CrossFit that can kick a lot of dudes' booties today. I get that. But in general, speaking of physically, it's the idea where we get the word porcelain from, that you actually view your wife as precious, not fragile, precious, costly, to be valued. And sadly, so many guys treat their trucks with more value, their guns with more value, their golf clubs with more value, than they do the woman that God has given them. And guys, you wonder why your wife won't treat you with what's found in verses one through six. Shame on you. Treat your wife with honor. That means giving space for their gifts to grow. I've been intent to have conversations with Lori, not because I arrived on it on my own, but because of what God's word says, to have conversations with her throughout our marriage, and even right now to say, how can I get behind what God's called you to do? God bless the woman, she is not a risk taker, and she has learned to do that more times than she would like to imagine living with me. And she has extensively gotten behind things that pursue my gifts and my talents. And where I feel the Lord has called to to flourish those gifts, and it's not that she got dragged along, not at all. She was in complete unity with every one of those decisions. But you know what that means, guys? How are you having conversations with your wife to say, how are you gifted? What would you like to do? What would you like to pursue? How can I be your greatest cheerleader? How can we adjust the finances so that you can go after those things? It's giving her honor. That's loving her the way that Christ loves you selflessly. It means you're seeking after her protection. That your wife needs to feel safe with you. That you are her protector. That God help the man that tries to come at your wife. Seek her protection. It means you learn to give and not just take. That's what it means to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, as someone who is precious and valuable to you and in God's sight. And as we close this morning, what's the motivation? I just love God's word in that it says, this is what you're supposed to do, but let me remind you of the motivation to why you do it. Can you look at what it says at the end of verse seven? It says, since you do this because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Your wife is a co-heir in Christ with you. She is not a second class citizen. She's a co-heir. That means in your family boardroom, quote unquote, 
That table is round. You don't sit on some throne. The table is round. You're in partnership together. You listen to her. She can speak into things. You seek her wisdom. Listen, let me tell you something, guys. Women have an intuition that is a gift from God that we do not possess. And there's been times that Lori has said something. I'm like, "Ah, I don't really think so. I don't think that's the case. And I can't think of a time right now in my mind where she was wrong. It's like a sixth sense. And that table's round. We are partners together. We welcome pushback. She's involved in decisions. Stop abusing God's daughter. And then, this is strong language, it literally says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's the motivation? The way you treat your wife affects your relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about you'll lose your salvation or something. What I'm just talking about is how in the world can I go to God and ask him to intervene in my work schedule or in my life or give me that, or Lord, I'd love for you to give me this promotion or whatever it is and to, and to seek the Lord after those things when I'm not treating my wife the way that God's word says. God's word says God will not hear your prayers. And some of you are wondering, man, why does it seem like my relationship with the Lord is dry? Why does it seem like, you know, we're, we're just, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing anything transpire and I feel like I'm stalled. And you know what I would ask you to think about? How are you loving your wife? Are you seeking to know her and provide for her? Are you showing her honor? Because one of the greatest indicators that my relationship with the Lord is in a good place is how I am loving my wife. Now here's the deal. If we sing a song and we read Jude 24 and we walk out of here and we never address this again as you walk out of here, you have not been obedient to what God wants you to do. Remember I said I've had a really, like Lori and I, there for a while, we couldn't agree that the sky was blue. I had to go to her this week and I had to ask forgiveness for some ways that I was not living with her in an understanding way. She apologized to me for some things. So I have a week up on you. Like, I've already had to do those things, but I also knew what God had convicted me of. You're hearing for this for the first time. And you know what needs to happen as our response when we walk out of here? We need to converse with our spouses. And guys, you need to initiate that conversation if you're a husband and ask your wife, hey, how can I love you better? How can I dwell with you better in an understanding way? How can I show you honor in a greater way? And wives, you respond but you respond in a way that says, hey, can I also tell you some ways that I see you doing that? Here's some things that would really help me, and I'm so thankful that you would ask. See, that's how change happens. But the motivation for that is, no, my hope is in Jesus Christ. So so ladies, if you're here this morning and you're married, you're like, Johnny, I have prayed for my husband to take the lead and ask me that for years. Can I just say, I hear your pain, I hear your hopes, and just the Lord wants you to continue to respond to that husband with respect, even when he doesn't deserve it. With pure conduct and looking for ways to affirm him with a gentle and quiet spirit, and you continue to pray that God would change his heart. You look for women that you can trust that can come alongside of you and pray. But when you share those things, be careful not to say it in a belittling way. Listen, if you're single this morning, you don't need a man or a woman to give you self-worth. To make you somebody, you already are somebody. And we don't say this enough, but those individuals that are single for their, that's a gift. The Bible calls that a gift. You're complete in Christ. 
Don't you view yourself as someone less than. And if you feel like that ever at Salem Chapel, you let me know. But man, our trust and our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? I know we went long today, but we needed to hear this. God, we are here today to submit to you, to place ourselves under your authority. And God, you've given us every reason to do so through the love that is found through your perfect life, death, and resurrection for our sins. Lord, our hope is anchored in you. May that be the motivation that our marriages will be different. Our lives will be different. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.